G'day everyone. Great to see uh, our Year 13 is back from their Fiji mission trip. We'll uh, look forward to hearing from them in a few weeks, I'm sure, about what went on and all the things that happened there. But also great to see so many people here who are serving in Kids Holiday Club during the week. So uh, I'm looking forward to the video later on. I think for the first time in 17 years, the video... Uh, I managed to avoid being filmed in the video eating food at the parents' cafe because every year they try and capture me eating and I managed to avoid it this year, so I'm very pleased. I just want to encourage you, it's absolutely amazing what happened here and at Bexley North during the week. 230 kids coming and uh, hearing the good news of Jesus. It's pretty amazing. Uh, it's more than pretty amazing. It's miraculous, really. On, uh, on Friday, I was uh, visiting a lady in hospital who uh, uh, is in her 90s, and uh, she was a part of the church here and uh, many, many years ago. And when she was, uh, there were no other kids other than her kids in the Sunday school, you know. So, and she was just, when she said, what's been happening this week at church? And I told her about Kids Holiday, I said, there's 230 kids hearing the good news of Jesus. She was just overcome, you know, we, just, we were in tears together uh, at the hospital. Uh, and so I just want to encourage you, if you're a part of that, or even if you're just praying for it, uh, don't take it for granted. It's a wonderful thing that we have the opportunity to share the gospel with so many kids. And many of you, uh, in years gone by, benefited from that as well. So praise God for that. But now, let's turn to Romans. Uh, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. We're actually, this is our last sermon in Romans for a while. We're going to pause, end of chapter 6, think about some other things for a while, then come back and pick it up at chapter 7 later in the year. So this is the last one for now. So I'll pray as we get into it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for all we've learnt in this book of Romans over these last few months, in particular for the wonderful news of the gospel, for the fact that we are saved by grace through faith. And so, Father, as we think about what that means for us now tonight, we pray that you'll help us to grapple hard with your word, and in particular, give us soft hearts to respond to it in faith and repentance. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, our modern world loves the idea of freedom. We, we love the idea of being free. I, I want to be free to do what I want with whoever I want, whenever I want. That's sort of the catch cry. The, the worst thing you can possibly do to someone in the modern world is tell them they can't do something, uh, is limit their freedoms. Uh, that's what made COVID such a hard time, I think. Our freedom was limited by, by lockdowns and, and things like that. And so, yes, people are willing to give up their freedoms maybe when there's a worldwide pandemic, but otherwise, we just hate the idea that anybody can limit what I get to do with me and with whatever I have. And if freedom is seen as a beautiful thing, one of the dirtiest words in the modern world is slavery. If you ever want to unite everyone in a room, say, we believe that slavery is the most awful evil, and everyone will say, amen. You know, people who will disagree about anything else... Everyone agrees slavery is evil. It's one of the dirtiest words. The idea that someone else might control you, we, we hate that idea, don't we? The idea that someone else could be your master. We even resent our, our work having the right to tell us what to do for limited hours in the week. The, I want to be my own boss is sort of the catch cry of the modern world. But if you think about it, freedom is actually a really, really tricky thing to manage, uh, and as much as we say, I want to be totally free, when, when you think about that, it, it doesn't really work. Total freedom doesn't work. Firstly, because we live in these things called communities. Uh, we live with other people. So if I'm free to do what I want, 
then what happens if what I want is different to what you want? And what happens in particular if what I want hurts you or what you want hurts me or limits me or damages me? We, we can't actually all be free to do whatever we want, whenever we want. More than that, freedom just doesn't work because there are just limits imposed on us by the laws of science. Uh, the way God has designed the world means actions have consequences. I am free to stay up all night tonight and watch the ashes. Or other people might be the Formula One, or other people might be Wimbledon, or other people, it might be some movie on Netflix. I can stay up all night and binge watch whatever, but there are consequences. I will fall asleep at the wheel the next day. That's just the way God has designed us and the world. I'm free to jump out of a plane without a parachute. I am not free to suspend the laws that mean when gravity and concrete come together, it's not good for me. You see, no one is free. Whatever freedom you have is always limited. It's only ever freedom within boundaries. And here is the irony. When people want freedom and when they chase freedom, they usually end up enslaved to something else. This is just the, the history of the world. Uh, if you think about the Second World War, there were all these countries in Eastern Europe and they said, we want to be free of fascism in Germany, so let's align ourselves with Russia. And so they swapped fascism for communism and they end up enslaved to something just as bad in the end. Or the person who wants to turn to drugs to free themselves from, from the pain of, of this life. And in the end, they just become a slave to the drugs and a slave to the person who, who sells them the drugs. Or at the moment, rents are going up and people say, I want to be free of rent. I want to be free of the landlord. So what do they do? They go and get a massive loan with a bank and they swap a master for a worse master who just chases them forever to get all their money to, to pay off the new master. You see, our passage today in Romans 6 is all about who you serve who you are a slave to. And the point it makes is you are a slave to somebody. Everybody is a slave to somebody. No one is free. It doesn't actually exist. In the 1970s, when uh, Bob Dylan was going through his Christian... A few weeks ago, I mentioned Johnny Cash and no one knew who I was talking about. People know who Bob Dylan is? A few, few nods, thank you. That's good. There you go. A few cool people here tonight. No. Uh, when he was going through his Christian phase, which lasted about a year, he, he sang this line. Come up on the screen. Thanks, Tom. He said, you've got to serve somebody, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. Uh, see, so many people think rejecting God, rejecting Christianity makes them free. And in fact, one of the reasons uh, people say they don't want to be a Christian is they think, I don't want to lose my freedoms. I want to be able to live however I, I want to live. What Romans 6 shows us is that no one is actually free. Bob Dylan was right. Everyone is a slave. We're either slaves to sin or slaves of God. And here is the strange irony we're going to see in this chapter. It's only slaves of God who actually end up being free. So let's turn there now. Come with me. Romans chapter 6, verse 15. Starts with a question, and it's really similar to the question at the start of last week's passage. So we went back to chapter 6, verse 1. It started with that question. Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? So we looked at last week. Verse 15, very similar. He says, what then? Should we sin because we are not under law but under grace? What's that question about? Well, again, it is the objection that people kept making to the gospel and that people have made, in particular religious people, have made to the gospel for 2,000 years. They say, if you keep telling people that we're saved by grace 
through faith, if you keep telling people that it's all a free gift, just come and trust in Jesus. If you keep telling people you're not saved by obeying the law, and in fact, if you tell people they can't even keep God's law, even if they try, well, people won't bother. And people will just keep sinning. They won't care how they live if it's all a free gift. Now, as I said last week, remember last week in the first half of chapter 6, that is a great question that question of verse 1 or verse 15 is a great question if it's a new Christian asking it. Perhaps my favourite part of what I get to do with my time is when I get the incredible privilege of sharing the gospel with someone and seeing them come to understand Jesus for the first time. Seeing them come to understand that they are a sinner but that Jesus has died to, to pay the price for their sin. To have that privilege of seeing people come to know Jesus is, is absolutely amazing. More than that though, when you see people grasp that God's salvation is a free gift, that's even more amazing. It's amazing when you see it happen, when they grasp, I can't earn it, I, I can't buy it, I don't deserve it, it's by grace I'm saved. When people grasp that, there is nothing better than that. If, you, if you've never had that joy, uh, I pray you do at, at some point in your life. But that often then logically leads them to ask this question of verse 15. They might use the same words, but they'll say, so you're saying it doesn't matter what I do. Are you saying it doesn't matter how I live? Are you saying I could actually keep sinning and Jesus would keep forgiving me? Now, I love it when a new Christian asks that question. Because if you ask those sort of questions, the penny is dropping about the gospel. Your understanding. It shows you've started to realise Jesus didn't come to teach people how to live a better life. He didn't come to start a religion for people to follow. It shows you've started to realise it's all about what Jesus has done for you that he has died for you and you grasp a hold of that by faith. And as I said, that's what we've been learning in Romans 1 to 5. I mean, how many months have we been looking at Romans 1 to 5? I hope you've, you've got it by now. Paul has been explaining the gospel of grace. He's been explaining this message of justification by faith. So that's why he raises this question now, because it's, it's a logical question to ask if you understand the gospel. But as we saw last week, it might be a real question, but it's not a good question. And the answer is actually obvious to any Christian. A Christian says with Paul, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Of course I don't keep sinning. If I've come to know Jesus, of course I don't keep sinning. And the answer we saw last week, why is? Because when you put your faith in Jesus, your sinful self died. You became a new person. What year do you think I'm born in? Don't answer that. That'd be rude. Some people would do like rude things if, if I ask. What year was I born in? I'll tell you, I was born in 1975. But I'm actually born in 1993. That is when I'm born. That's when my real birth was. 1993. Because that's when the old Phil died and a new person was born through faith in Christ. So why do Christians not just keep sinning? Why do we seek to live for Jesus even though we're saved by grace, not by works? It's because we died when we put our faith in Jesus. And we saw that in last week's passage. Well, now in this passage, he gives us another part of the argument for why Christians don't just keep sinning or to put it in the positive. Why do we strive to live for Jesus? And here's the point. This is the big point he's making. It's because the gospel liberates you. The gospel sets you free to serve God. This is verses 16 to 19. Come to verse 16. He says, Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. 
Now, please concentrate hard on understanding this. It can be a difficult sort of concept. What he's saying is, the reason you're not free to keep sinning anymore is because you've been set free to serve a new master. When you became a Christian, you're not just liberated from sin, you are signing up to a new slavery as a slave of Jesus. One way we express this is we say, you accept Jesus as your saviour and your Lord. You know how we use that language? See, Jesus didn't set us free so we just become our own boss. We are set free from sin to be slaves of righteousness or perhaps slaves of Jesus. Look at how he puts it in verse 18. He says, having been liberated from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. See, Romans 6 is asking that Bob Dylan question. I, I, I quoted before. I think Bob Dylan might have been reading Romans 6 when he, when he wrote that song. See, it's either sin that you serve or it's righteousness or God that you serve. There are no other options. There's not a third way. There's not, a, I'm not a slave of sin. I just do my own thing. That's being a slave of sin. You're either a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. Most people don't believe this. Even I think many Christians don't really believe this, even though it's true. See, most people think when I sin, I'm expressing my freedom. That's what we think. We think when I sin, I'm saying, oh, I'm expressing my, my freedom from God, or we, perhaps we don't think that crassly. We sort of think I'm expressing my freedom from his rules and his, his way of living. We are not. When we sin, we are saying, I am a slave of an awful master. You see, there is no one who is free. Without Jesus, we're all slaves to sin. As I say, most people don't believe that. They think becoming a Christian is to lose your freedom. You might even think this sometimes. You might sort of look out at the world and you think, oh, I've given up my freedom to, to, to become a Christian. That is because sin does a really good job of hiding the true master from you. Sin does a really good job of deceiving you. Sin hides behind other ideas that sound much, much more attractive. And really, sin itself is only the front man, the real master, hangs around the back in the shadows, sort of pulling the strings. See, what he does is he promises good things. He says, if you live without God, you'll be free from all those restrictions of religion. If you chase these things of the world, you'll find fulfillment. You'll be happy. He says, the most important person in the world is you. Look after number one. You can't care for other people if you're not looking out for yourself. See, sin and the devil use all sorts of disguises. They use all sorts of lies to con people into remaining slaves. And the biggest lie is that you are free when actually we're slaves to sin. Jesus said this, John 8, 34, look on the screen. Jesus responded, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. We know this is true just from our own experience. We actually know the way sin is powerful, the way sin is addictive. Just think of greed as an example. I could pick any sin, but just think of greed as an example. When people want more and then they get it, are they satisfied? No, never. They get it and then they go, actually, I want that other house. It's amazing. You watch these TV shows where they, they do over the house to get the house of their dreams and within six months they go, I want another one. Because greed is like that, because greed is sin. We end up never satisfied. And you can insert any other sin into that picture. You can insert envy, hatred, anger, lust. Sin enslaves us. But when we become a Christian, something incredible happens. Like we saw last week, our old self dies, we died to sin, we become a new person 
in Christ. And because of that, sin is no longer our master. That is the great news of the gospel. That is the Christian message. But we have not been set free to just do what we want. We've been set free to serve the one who set us free. So look at verse 17. It says, But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were transferred to. And having been liberated from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. So if you've repented and trusted in Jesus, that's what it means when it says there, obey from the heart God's pattern of teaching. That means you've heard the message of Jesus, you've repented and put your faith in him. If you've done that, now you have a new master. Not sin and the devil anymore, instead, righteousness and God. Now, some people might still say, I don't want to just switch masters. That's no good to me. I, I, I just want to be my own boss. If you say that, you don't know this new master and how good he is. Because you see, God is unlike any other master. Because God loves and cares for and even serves his own slaves. See, when you look at Jesus, you see, we've got a really strange master. We have a master who demands total allegiance. Yes, that's what it is to be a Christian. But also a master who serves us even to the point of dying for us. I'm sure you all know Mark 10, 45. It'll come up on the screen. It says, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. See, when you come to know Jesus, you start to realise being a slave of God is not a negative thing. Being a slave of God is a wonderful Who would not want to serve a master who loves you enough to die for you? Who, who would not want to serve a master like that? In the ancient world, sometimes slaves were freed by their master. You've got to understand in the ancient world, slavery was just part of the way the world worked. They, some people say 80% of the Roman Empire were slaves. So, so that, that was the majority of people lived as slaves. And, and often a master would liberate their slave. They, they would free them. They find these examples where the slave wants to remain a slave of their master because they know their master offers them a much better life than they were going to have out in the world. If they're freed from their master, they might have to work for an unjust employer who abuses them. They might become a, a slave of, of poverty. So they stayed. And, and people even write about how they loved their master. A slave loves their master because their master looks out for them and gave them freedom within limits. Now, of course, there are all sorts of problems with this picture. I do not want you thinking of, of God as your slave master. Paul even says that there in verse 19. Here he says, I'm using a human analogy. He's saying, there's all sorts of problems with this. Don't take it too far. But he's making the point. There are only two possible masters. Sin, which is an awful master. Or righteousness, the devil or your heavenly father who loves you? Which master is yours? And that gets us to the main point of this passage, because his point is, if you have switched camps, if you have changed masters, it must change the way we live. Look at verse 19 again. He says, For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to moral impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness... So now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. See, a slave does the work of his master. And the work of sin, what does it say there, is moral impurity and lawlessness. Lawlessness just means not caring 
about what God says is right or wrong. You just don't care. And you see how he says there, sin leads to greater and greater lawlessness? That is the way sin works. The more we sin, the more we fall under the power of sin. It's like a a, a spiral taking us down, like a whirlpool. The more you sin, the more your conscience gets hardened, the more you rationalise that sin is okay, and the more you keep sinning, the more you disregard God's law. It's a downward spiral. You know, this is true when you tell a lie. You know, when you tell a lie... I think we all have experience of telling a lie. So this is a, a, an illustration that everyone can empathise with. When you tell a lie, what do you then have to do? You've got to tell another lie to cover for that lie. And that lie gets worse. And then before you know it, you've actually told another lie to cover for that lie. That's how sin works. It's a spiral of lawlessness. Before I came to Christ, that is how I used to live. Now, for some of us, Our impurity and our lawlessness was more obvious than for others. But before we knew Jesus, we thought we were free to do what we want whenever we wanted and we didn't realise we were actually slaves. But the Apostles Paul says, that is what you used to be like. Now you have switched allegiances. Now you know Jesus and so now it must be different. I think what the Apostle is doing here is saying, if you don't get this... If you you think, if you're the person who wants to keep saying, so I can keep sinning? If you don't get this, if you want to keep living the life you used to live, you haven't grasped the gospel yet. You might still be a slave to sin. So I said last week, go back to Romans 1 and start again. Listen to the sermons again. Read the passages again. Because if God is your master... If you claim to follow Christ, then look at verse 19, your work is now righteousness, which leads to sanctification. That means growing in holiness. So if sin is a downward spiral, righteousness is an upward spiral. You you see, a life now lived under God's rule, a a life of obedience, a life of loving God and loving our neighbour. Please understand this. I'm going to repeat what I said last week. To, to ask that question, am I free to keep on sinning, is a great sign for a non-believer that they've started to grasp the gospel of grace. But if you keep asking it, it shows you haven't really got it. Yes, Christians are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but Christians, by definition, are saved to live lives of joyful obedience to God. Now, make sure you don't misunderstand this. And again, I'm repeating what I said last week. As Christians, we will still sin. You you cannot say, I will never sin. We cannot say that. We will. We'll continue to struggle. This week, I will struggle and I will fail in all sorts of areas. And until Christ returns, that is the Christian life. We're only made perfect when Christ returns. So don't ever think that a Christian can live without sin. But... We are free to not sin at this moment when faced with this choice. I hope that makes sense. There's two errors Christians have fallen into historically when they've looked at passages like this. On the one hand, Christians get into this thing called sinless perfectionism where they say, actually, as a Christian, you can live without sin. That is a lie. In a few weeks, we're going to come back and look at Romans 7 where Paul says, after I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do, that is the Christian life. You will struggle with sin until Christ returns or until you die. So don't believe that lie of sinless perfectionism. But there's another mistake Christians make, which is they're then defeatist. 
And they act like we're still the same before we came to know Jesus. No, we are liberated. And so we are actually, at this moment, able to say, I'm not going to say that harsh word. I'm, I'm, not, go- I'm not a slave of sin. I'm a slave of sin. I'm not going to, to watch that TV show. I, I'm not going to say that hurtful thing. I'm free to not sin. We will sin, but that doesn't mean you have to sin now. And so the call of Romans 6 is, do not tolerate sin in your life. Don't say, that's just me. That's just, I, I just, I'm like that. Don't be satisfied with, with the sin in your life. Repent of it daily. Confess it to God daily. Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Treat sin and on the other hand, treat righteousness with the seriousness it deserves. The grace of God is never an excuse to keep sinning. It is a motivation for righteousness. But there's another point this passage makes for us, and it's the final point. I'm going to make it a bit quicker. And that is slavery to God is actually so much better because only slavery to God leads to eternal life. This is verses 20 to 23. So there's something very different about these two masters, and you see that in the last few verses. Look from verse 21. It says, so what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? It's interesting. There are things in my past that I am ashamed of. There are things I did when, when I was, before I was a believer and even as a young Christian and even, truth be told, sometimes as a Christian, there are things I am ashamed of. I'm not going to go into them tonight. There's no benefit for that for anyone. But there are things I am ashamed of. And when I look back, they bore no fruit. All they did was harm people. All they did was hurt people or hurt me. There, there was no fruit of sin. There is no good fruit of it. And in the end, what it goes on to say, the end of those things is death. There's the final fruit. But now, verse 22, but now since you have been liberated from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification and the end is eternal life. You see that? See, the fruit of godliness driven by our understanding of grace, the fruit of godliness is seeing people grow, is seeing people encourage. It bears fruit in life. It's the better way to live and the end is eternal life. Because, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The end result of sin, death and judgment. And do you notice there, the wages of sin is death. You earn wages. With sin, we get what we deserve. No one is going to be able to get there on the judgment day and say to God, I don't deserve this. God said, I'm just paying you your wages. I'm just giving you what you worked for. But our new master is so different to that, isn't he? What wages does God pay us? None at all. Because instead, he just loves giving us things we don't deserve. He gives us the wonderful free gift of eternal life. And we receive that gift simply by faith in Jesus Christ. I put a little summary on your outline. It'll come up on the screen as well. Just for the people who think in terms of tables and that sort of stuff. Sorry for the arty people. This is for the engineers and that sort of thing. You see, there's just two options. There's not a third column. There's no third column. Who is your master? It's either sin or it's righteousness. It's either sin, the devil, or God and Jesus. If sin is your master, what is your work? It's impurity and lawlessness. 
You might try and make it look respectable, but that's what it is. It's impurity and lawlessness. But what is your work if you're a slave of Jesus? It's holiness, seeking to live for him. And then finally, what's the outcome? What reward do they offer? Well, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Hopefully that's helpful. Hopefully as you take that home, that's a reminder of what we've seen tonight. But now as we close, what is our response to this passage? It's really, really simple. First of all, it's just to ask yourself, who is my master? That's the first thing I want you to ask as we get to this end of this part of Romans. Who is your master? If you are someone who has not yet turned away from sin and turned to Christ, I want to say to you, please do it today. Give up slavery. Do it today. And if you are still a slave to sin, turn today and become a slave to righteousness. Put your trust in Jesus as these first six chapters of Romans have been pleading with us to do week in, week out. Receive the gift of eternal life. That's the first thing. But as people who know and love Jesus, as I pray you do, then this passage is saying to you, if you're a child of Jesus, if you're a slave of righteousness, how can you possibly still live like a slave to sin. See, sometimes we look at the lives of non-believers and we can be jealous. Do you know that? I'm sure you experience this. You can sort of think, I'm missing out. Especially if you've grown up a Christian. In a strange sort of way, the fact that I lived years not being a Christian, uh, in some ways liberates me of of thinking that there's anything good in, in following the ways of the world. But sometimes when you've grown up a Christian, as many of you have, you, you can actually think that's good out there, that there's things you've, you haven't missed out on anything. It's rubbish. It's, it's awful. You see, don't look out there at the world and be jealous. Don't think you're missing out on the fun of sin. Don't look back on your life before you became a Christian and, and, and think, you know how we sometimes look back and think, oh, those were the days when I used to get drunk, when I used to do those other, other things. No! See, sometimes we're tempted to look on sin with with nostalgia. The question here is, why would you do that? What possible benefit do you reap from sin? None at all. Sin's reward is fruitlessness and its end is death and eternal judgment. Sin can seem exciting, it can seem glamorous, but all it does is lead to misery and death. Yes, we will continue to sin. Yes, every one of us will struggle with sin every hour of every day until Christ returns. I wish I could tell you otherwise, but I can't. But if you're in Christ, you're not a slave to it. You're not a slave to sin any longer. Impurity, lawlessness, that's not who you are anymore. And so the apostle is saying to you, God's word is saying to you, don't tolerate them. Don't tolerate them in your life. Why don't we just keep sinning? Why do we seek to live for Jesus? Because if you know Jesus you know you are a new person in him. And that new person is not a slave to sin. What are you? I'll tell you what you are. This is what we've seen from Romans. You are a dearly loved, forgiven, justified, totally free slave of the God who sent his son to die for you. So let's live like it. Let's be what Jesus has saved us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that we have seen in this book of Romans so far. We thank you for the wonderful message that even though we are slaves to sin naturally, you sent your Son into the world to die for us, to free us from sin, so that we might be declared righteous, 
and so that we might become a new person in him. And so now, Father, help us to live as slaves of righteousness. Help us to see that we are no longer slaves to sin. And instead, we pray that each one of us here would seek to live for the glory of our new master, our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.